Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away you fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello. Blake, Iowa Gopher. Happy National Signing Day. And you stream. Hey y'all. Well, as Blake alluded to, it is the early National Signing Day for football today. Uh, the Gophers signed almost everyone in their class. Uh, because carrying is creepy and I've uh, outsourced the creepiness to Blake, I'm just going to turn it over to, well, and Andy a little bit too. I'm going to turn over the two of you to uh, creepily inform us about uh, what we should know about this this year's signing class. Uh, it's a pretty good class. According to uh, 24-7 Sports, it ranks 27th nationally, 8th in the Big Ten, um, 8th Macy low in the Big Ten, but really like you're dealing with these arbitrary rating points and there really isn't much separating probably about four teams from that eight spot to the five spot but it's a deep class even with uh you know one player in particular opted not to sign today but even without him they still have a lot of great players in here um at the calic manis as uh, the top ranked uh, player in the class he's a quarterback out of illinois um honestly this is a great class in terms of the secondary you've got steven ortiz uh an arizona cornerback another four-star um, Justin Wally, who might be my under-the-radar low-key favorite of the class. He's a Mississippi cornerback. Um, he was Mr. Mississippi football for the 6A class in Mississippi. Um, turned down in-state offers from both Mississippi State and Ole Miss to come forward his own path at Minnesota. And then they've got a safety out of Georgia named Darius Green. So even without uh, Dickerson, and we'll get into him a little bit later. You have to really like those three secondary guys, and I think sooner rather than later you're going to see more of a youth movement at secondary. I mean, we've got it's a very senior heavy class this year with Coney Durr, Phil Howard, Benjamin St. Just. Um, so eventually, these are guys that probably will be starting or at least seeing significant playing time in the near future. Um, beyond the secondary, uh, it's an interesting defensive line class. Uh, They've got uh, the home the home state defensive end, uh, Devin Eastern from Shakopee, Minnesota. Um, defensive tackle out of Washington, Jacob Schuster. Uh, one of the guys with probably the most upside in the class is the Indiana defensive end, Austin Booker. And I'm missing someone else, I thought. But, yeah, sorry. You guys, you know how to find these commitments, but it's a very versatile defensive line class. I think this class and last class uh, – it's really been a point of emphasis for Fleck and company to get an influx of talent on the defensive line. And I think they've really done that. It's an exciting group. I'm really excited to see these guys get on the field that maybe take a little time for them to develop. But I, I think there is a wave of talent coming in on the defensive line, and that's going to be a really formidable unit here in the near future. Um, just a couple offensive linemen, uh, probably not as many as some people would have liked, um, considering how top heavy that uh, offensive line group is on the roster. Um, Beyond that, three wide receivers, uh, Athens' brother Dino, Brady Boyd, who plays for uh, the, the Texas powerhouse South Lake Carroll, and then uh, Lameki Brockington is probably the crown jewel of that wide receiver class. He's another wide receiver out of Georgia, and from what I hear, Minnesota's had pretty good luck uh, playing wide receivers out of Georgia. So overall, it's really deep class, uh, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, but uh I'll defer to Andy for his thoughts now that I've kind of given you uh, my my spewer, my full download of uh, what I thought of this class. Yeah, Luther McCoy, the uh, D-tackle out of Florida, was the other defensive line that's, that you were missing. There. Thank you. That's what I was forgetting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think uh, for, for D-line and secondary, the Gophers really did get a pretty good class. Um, 
you know, the, we'll we'll see whether we get one more secondary drop here between the next couple of days or or February. Uh, but yeah, between Ortiz and Green um, and Wally, I think we've got three potential players who should be able to make impacts pretty quick on this defense, especially after, uh, you know, hopefully you get, well, at least if, if it's tweet, which was vague, indicates you get one more year out of Coney Durr and hopefully you get one more year out of uh, St. Juiced and things like that. Uh, Justice Harris as well. I think these guys could be pretty well ready to step in their, I guess it would be their sophomore seasons. But um, yeah, between uh, between Calamanis at, at quarterback and his brother, obviously, um, you know, that in theory is probably your starting quarterback two years down the line. You know, he may have a year where he's going to have to fight Cole Kramer or Jacob Clark, whoever ends up winning the job after after Tanner Morgan leaves. Uh, but, you know, Athens probably got the, the lead uh, position on that one. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Jamison Gears, the tight end out of Illinois, is another one of those sneaky players that could be pretty good. Uh, the Gophers got in early on his recruitment, and between the Gophers offering, he got, uh, offers from Wisconsin. He got offers from Iowa. Uh, you know, a couple of schools that use their tight ends pretty well. So I think uh, he could be a potential uh, pass catching threat for Minnesota down the stretch. And um, yeah, uh, Bucky Bucky Irving, the uh, running back from Illinois. I think also, you know, everybody says his tape looks amazing. Um, so between him and him we and Ty to, Thomas, I say we have to talk about the fact that. Axe Week, the irony of the Gophers signing running back named Bucky and the potential future headlines that that could produce. Yes, yeah, we can only hope a couple of years down the line that we get to write the uh, the Bucky beats Bucky and takes home the axe or something like that. But, uh, you know, between between him and Kai Irving, uh, you know, we got a couple of really shifty backs coming in the last two classes. And so, um, you know, obviously waiting for them to, to be able to take their roles uh once once the the Mo Ibrahims and the and the players like that move on but uh you know pretty pretty good class all in all I mean as, as PJ was alluded to in his press conference this is the best class that the, the Gophers ever had as a whole um you know we're bringing in um you know Ortiz who is one of the top secondary recruits the Gophers have ever had you've got uh Devin Eastern who's I think he said the either the highest or second highest defensive line recruit the Gophers have ever had in the, in the internet recruiting age. Um, so you've got, uh, Irving, the running back is the, I believe the, either the second or third highest running back the Gophers have ever had in the internet recruiting age. So, uh, they're definitely bringing in the talent. Um, you know, uh, there's still one more guy out there that I think we're, we're hoping still decides to get in the boat here in the future. It's, it's, it's obviously a question mark at this point, but if, if they can close with him and, and as PJ was alluding to, uh, potentially pick up a, a transfer here between now and, and next summer, um, I think this group is going to really form a, a tight core and hopefully leading Gophers, uh, towards the top of the big 10 West here in 2022, 2023 onward. So I know you guys obviously have all of the sources, uh, bugs placed in phones and whatever else necessary to keep us apprised. But uh, if you had to summarize the Avante Dickerson situation really quickly, how would what would you say about that? Uh, I would say, you know, we're dealing with 17, 18 year olds here that are uh, trying to figure out where they want to spend theoretically the next four years of their college education and, Sometimes they're just not ready to make that decision. Um, you know, with Dickerson, his situation is he's the top-ranked top ranked kid in the, Nebraska, in the state of Nebraska. 
a lot of pressure to stay home. Um, he committed to Minnesota back in April uh, and had not been to campus since then. You know, it's been a very strange recruiting process with the dead period basically the, nearly the entire way up till signing day. So um, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see how it plays out. Um, you hope just he makes the best decision for himself. You know, one thing Fleck always emphasizes is you want kids who want to be here. And, you know, as much as we might want someone as talented as Monte Dickerson to go to Minnesota, if that's not where he wants to go, that's not where he should go. So just here's hoping um, he makes this best decision for himself. If that's Minnesota, great. If not, uh, the world goes on. So if I'm understanding the situation correctly, uh, he has the ability to – if he's going to sign during this early signing window, he can sign up until at some point on Friday. And then if he does not sign, then he has to wait until the February signing window uh, to make a decision. Is that correct? Yes, I believe he has until midnight Friday night. So he can sign Thursday, he can sign Friday. But yeah, if he, if he has not signed before that deadline, he has to wait till the February period. Okay. Well, I guess kind of looking for who your favorite uh, player in the class is. Mine is Steven Ortiz Jr. Um, mostly because that kid is pulling the Carter Coughlin this year and really trying to bring aboard uh, as many players as possible. Um, he's also apparently uh, a fun guy. <laughs> uh, if I remember the, the quote that I saw uh, when Blake was watching Flex Presser today, uh, Fleck decided he realized that um, Ortiz was a pretty comfortable, pretty comfortable with who he was when he showed up to a FaceTime with Fleck wearing a, uh, a facial mask um, for his skin. And just and when asked why, he was like, because it makes my skin better or something like that. To, so. to be clear, that was the first time they'd ever FaceTime with each other. Wait, that was the first time they'd ever FaceTime? Yep. <laughs> I love this guy. I absolutely love somebody who's just comfortable uh, being himself. So for me, that's that's my uh, favorite recruit uh, in the class. Andy, how about you? Yeah, you know, I God, I keep I keep looking at it and I keep changing my mind. You know, in some way, I I, I really think that uh, the Devin Eastern, the Shakopee product, really could be it. I mean, I think he sort of blew up out of out of nowhere the last year or so, and and uh, works out with former Viking Mike Morris, um, who, who's basically put on, put 40 pounds of muscle on him in the last 18 months and really has got, you know, a, a college-ready body for him to go. Um, you know, I think he could end up to be a, to be an absolute beast on that defensive line. Um, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Bucky Irving, too. I mean, you watch his, you watch his tape and... He's got just absolutely gorgeous moves coming out of the backfield. He's a great pass catcher out of the backfield, something that I think I both P.J. Fleck and, and Mike Sanford would love to uh, exploit more going forward. Um, so I really think, you know, between between him and Kai Thomas, if you can if you can line those two up as as the pair and the spare, and still get a little run out of out of Cam Wiley and and get some get some Trace and Potts out of the, out of the backfield or line him up in the slot. Um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, to this running back class here in the next few years. Blake, how about you? Uh, I mean, Ortiz is awesome. He's bear in mind he's also the one who bought uh, "Who Hates Iowa" shirt uh, like months before he even signed with. <laughs> That's with right. 
he's that's right. he he does have that. I mean, Carter Coffin is a great comparison. He's the guy that's going to be like kind of the figurehead of this class and this group. And I mean, if this group can be as special as that sixteen group, I mean, I'm all for it. Um, beyond Ortiz, I really am all on the Justin Wally hype train, the Mississippi cornerback, um, class six A Mississippi Mister Football. Because get this, he played. I know this isn't super rare for high school, but he played both ways. He was running back, wide receiver, and defensive back. He racked up 55 tackles, two interceptions, and blocked two kicks. And then on offense, he had 1,000 rushing yards and 19 touchdowns, and then 28 receptions for 329 rush- receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. I mean, to me, that that's pretty eye-popping. Um, and I think he is just a, a straight-up playmaker, and he obviously brings a lot of versatility to Minnesota's secondary. I just think a player like that has – tremendous upside and i think he's going to be possibly like the hidden gem of this class blake you wrote a, an article back in october after the michigan game that kind of broke down how some recruiting misses in the 2017 and 2018 classes uh led to some of the depth issues that led you know the defense w- was being plagued by at that time uh, do you have any areas in this class that you're more worried about as being potential depth holes if the players they sign don't pan out? Uh, I mean, right now at cornerback, they are really kind of pressing their luck and gambling on these younger guys. Because, I mean, if you look at their upperclassmen they've got right now, Coney Deer, Phil Howard, um, Benjamin St. Juiced, uh, even Terrell Smith is a junior rising senior. And then below them, everyone is is next year theoretically going to be a freshman since eligibility is frozen there's just there's just no middle ground there so if guys like uh, miles fleming solomon brown Jalen glaze and then you know you got ortiz here justin Wally, if those guys don't pan out um they're gonna be in serious trouble and there's also the constant um feels like we constantly have a short short shortage of safeties you know right now we've got i think jordan howden uh, tyler newbin and then uh abner dubar and I think, you know, obviously Benny Sapp transferred at the beginning of the season. And safety just they always seemed to be so shorthanded there. Um, so really hoping to see some – oh, Michael Dixon. I can't forget about Michael Dixon. He's so obviously one of their best uh, younger safeties. But, I mean, just the, the secondary depth to me is just very razor thin. And I mean, you've seen this year with the linebackers how much – how that gap has affected the level of play because they were forced to play so many younger guys and they're inexperienced. And I just don't know how well that's going to play in the secondary if, that, if they're forced into that position, having to play those younger guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talent that they've recruited at those positions here. But, I mean, if those guys don't pan out, I think you're going to have a lot of trouble there. All right, transitioning. Uh, it is Axe Week, Border Battle Week. Um, Minnesota, of course, had their game against Wisconsin earlier this season canceled because of COVID. It is now the... What are we calling this week, Blake? Uh, Big Ten bonus round. Big Ten bonus round. It is the Big Ten bonus round. Um, So the way that was originally designed, Minnesota would have played against uh, whatever place they were in the West. They would play the associated team from the East. But the Big Ten, uh, recognizing the importance of having some flexibility to preserve a rivalry game, uh, gave uh, the Gophers and the Badgers a chance to make up the game that they lost earlier in the year. Um, I guess uh, we just should probably get right into, you know, kind of previewing how that looks for the Gophers. Wisconsin is not the team. uh, They were early in the year uh, on offense and defense both. 
And Blake, I'm interested how you think Minnesota's defense will do um, against Wisconsin and what Minnesota needs to do to be able to win the game. I mean, it's a it's a question of which Wisconsin offense is going to show up. Uh, I mean, this, the contrast between their first two games and their last two games um, could not be more stark. Uh, they you know they started the season two zero and averaged forty seven points per game. And in these last three games, all losses, they've averaged 6.6 points per game. So, you know, going from 47 points per game to 6.6 points per game, um, it's kind of staggering. Um, But to their point, to their credit, they've played three of the top defenses in the country, Northwestern, Iowa, and Indiana. Uh, But a large part of it is uh, their passing game has really really stumbled, especially, you know, Graham Mertz had that near-perfect debut against Illinois. I think he went... 2021, five touchdowns. Um, but since then, he's actually thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. He's had five uh, in the game since then and three touchdowns. Uh, so things have kind of fallen off the off the rails a little bit. He has been without two of his top pass catchers, Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. Both have been banged up in a best time the last few games. I'm not really sure what their status is for Saturday's game. Um, but outside them, he's got um, Barry Alvarez's grandson at tight end, Jake Ferguson. And then their best playmakers at wide receiver these last few games have been a true freshman, um, Jamari DK, and then a, a walk-on senior named Jack Dunn. So um, very slim pickings in the past game. And honestly, Mertz has just looked more like a freshman quarterback than he did that first game. Uh, he's, he's missing open receivers. He's making poor reads on defense. And he's just leaving the pocket to really when he starts to feel pressure. Um, and you know, speaking of pressure, there's there's more pressure on the Badgers' pass game because they just haven't had a consistent rushing attack this season. Um, they've really taken a a committee approach to replacing Jonathan Taylor. And the good news for Minnesota is their the best member of that committee, true freshman Jalen Berger, will not be available this this Saturday. He reportedly tested positive for COVID ahead of the Iowa game last week. So obviously, with the 21 day rule, he will not be able to participate. So you'll probably see a lot of. Uh, Richard sophomore running back Nikhil Watson and then a couple of their fullbacks Garrett Groshek and, and Mason Stocky and uh, those three did not have very much success against Iowa they combined for like 22 carries about 45 rushing yards so yeah it's it's just been staggering to me the contrast between offenses but um, as I mentioned they faced three really good defenses and I think Minnesota really has to show up I, on defense they they showed improvement against Nebraska. You know, they plug and gap better. They tackled better. Mariano, sorry, Marion had a, had a really good game. Big 10 defensive play of the week with 18 tackles. I think he, they need to build up that performance and just be, you know, sound fundamentally up front to make sure that they do stop that Wisconsin rush game. Because if Wisconsin could just rush it well, that's, I mean, it's going to be a long game for the defense. They, I mean, so, and the important thing is Minnesota just needs to show up on defense, be sound up front, get pressure on. Uh, Graham Mertz, you know, Boye Mafe, he needs to be in the backfield at all times and force him into making mistakes. So I think we shouldn't come into this expecting Wisconsin to just be terrible on offense as bad as they've looked the past few weeks. Minnesota does need to show up and uh, be ready to play. All right. Uh, other side of the ball, Minnesota's offense, Wisconsin's defense. Uh, break that down for us. Uh, it's, to my annoyance, it's... It, pretty much what you'd expect from Wisconsin defense at this point. They just seem to reload uh, year in and year out. They're third nationally in rushing defense, fifth in passing defense, sixth in scoring defense. Um, 
you know, as poorly as our offense has played the last three games, their defense has, has played just as well and kept them in some of those games a little bit longer than they probably should have. Uh, yeah, they're, they live and die with their linebackers. Um, the junior linebacker, Jan, Jack Sanborn, is their leader. He's their most active linebacker uh, and run defense. Uh, their sophomore linebacker, Leo Chanel, he'll be there. Their primary blitzer most times, but you know Jim Leonard, the defense coordinator, is going to get creative in how he dies up, dials up those blitzes, especially against uh, a Minnesota offensive line that could be again missing a couple starters. You know they had to shuffle the offensive line against Nebraska. It's it's tough for a group like that to build chemistry and make sure that they know how to communicate well with when they've only played one game together. And you can bet that Wisconsin is going to try and confuse them up front with different looks, different blitz packages. So I th- I think to me. That's going to be one of the biggest differences in the game is how Minnesota's offensive line handles Wisconsin's defensive front, which I think Fleck in his press conference this week said is probably the best that they've faced all year. I would tend to agree with them. Um, another matchup you'll want to watch is, obviously, Minnesota's wide receivers, Sands, Rashad Bateman versus Wisconsin's veteran secondary. They've got three seniors. They've got two safeties, Eric Burrell, Colin Wilder, and then a cornerback who's also senior, Caesar Williams. The last year... They were very aggressive in coverage against Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman and put pressure on Tanner Morgan to make plays quickly, get the ball out quickly. I think you'll probably see more of the same, and I think that it'll put a lot of pressure on guys like Chris Hoffman Bell, Dana Jackson. I mean, it's just it's not the same receiving court was last year, so it puts a lot of pressure on younger guys, less experienced guys, and I think this will be the toughest test of the season, um, just having those guys get out there and create separation so that Tanner Morgan can get the passing game going and Wisconsin doesn't have to doesn't can't stack the box and stop the run. So a lot of pressure on those wide receivers, a lot of pressure on the offensive line because obviously you know Minnesota was going to want to run the ball, but Wisconsin is one of the best rushing defenses in the country. So easier said than done. Thank you, Blake. I was just thinking as you were talking there how weird it is to me that this is Axe Week. Um, COVID is really kind of suck the energy out for me. Usually, you know, this is a game I almost never miss in person. So, you know, I would be traveling and, uh, you know, I, I lived in Wisconsin. I lived in Madison for a, a, a large number of years, 10 years. And um, so I have many friends from that area who are Badger fans. And it always leads to a lot of, you know, kind of pregame hype and sniping and, and, and shit talking. And, of course, there's just none of that this year. Everybody's, you know, it's almost Christmas, so people are focused on that. How are you guys feeling? Is Are you are you really kind of more focused on other things or ready for the season to be over? How are you feeling at this point, given how, you know, honestly kind of messed up and crappy the, the Big Ten's execution of this eight-game season, nine-game season, I guess, has been? Uh, you know, I actually talked to um... – Tyler Hunt from Bucky's fifth quarter of this week for a podcast for their site. And I, I think it's definitely kind of a mutual feeling where it's just, we're both like kind of limping towards the finish line, both as a team and as fans. And I mean, I think we're all glad that the X game is back and happening, but um, for me personally, like it's just, it's like you said, it just doesn't feel the same. Um, I'm not as hyped up for it as it is. It just, it just feels like a weird game because it's just been a weird season and, uh, this Wisconsin team has been strange. Their season's been strange. Minnesota, this team has been obviously started the year horribly. They've looked a little bit better the past couple weeks, and I think honestly, I'm looking forward to it all kind of being done with. This whole season has just kind of been a wash. I think for most teams, I mean, we look at the Big Ten; they've got seven two-win teams, and we're entering the final week of the season. And I, I mean, unless you're 
Ohio State, Northwestern, Iowa, or Indiana, this season's pretty much just been a mess. Um, so I'm just looking forward to kind of one last year out 2020. Who knows what if Minnesota will go to a bowl game or how that will work. Um, I think everyone's just kind of looking ahead. I know at least I am to hopefully better days in 2021 because it's just it's been kind of a, a horrible year and a, not a very memorable season. Andy? Yeah, you know, I, I, I go back and forth on this. I mean, up till up till last week, especially coming right off of the two COVID postponements, I was sort of, you know, really just sort of get it over with, didn't care. And then we went out and we beat Nebraska and down 33 guys, and, and you know, we all enjoyed that. And that sort of brought back, okay, you know, rivalry, beating a rival is fun. Now, yes, admittedly, I'm not nearly as hyped up as I would be for the Axe game in a, in a normal year, but it, it's still the Axe, and it's still Wisconsin, and they've looked very beatable. You know, it's not like we're going up against a juggernaut. So, no, I am I am kind of, you know, getting back into it and hoping that we may be able to do something. Now, am I fully expecting Graham Mertz to look like the second coming of uh, John Stocko and every other Badger quarterback who suddenly turns into a Heisman winner every single time they play Minnesota for the last 16 years? Well, yeah, I am. His name is Joel um, Stave. His name is Joel Stave, Andy. Well, you name it. Stocko, Stave. Uh, fuck, didn't even Bart Houston look good against us for one game or something like that? I, I can't keep them all straight. But, I mean, the only one that didn't was Tanner McAvoy which we took care of that. Thank you. I don't, uh, Horner, uh, Alex Hornerbrook was the one. Hornerbrook, sorry, you're right. McAvoy did look good against us. I can't keep him. See, I can't keep him straight. All these no-name quarterbacks looking like Heisman winner against the Gophers for the last 16 years. Um, but I, I'm, I'm fully, if that does happen, then so be it, whatever. Um, you know, but I guess I am suddenly, you know, a little bit more interested in it. I'd love to see Minnesota make it a good game on Saturday and, and, you know, with the win there, it, it, admittedly, bowl season's going to be weird. But, you know, with a win against Wisconsin, you pretty much guarantee yourself a bowl game. And it makes that, you know, week between Christmas and New Year's a little more interesting when we have something we specifically are watching rather than, you know, bowl games between two teams you really don't care about. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that, that the best case happens and, and it goes forward. But, you know, if, if Minnesota comes out and, and just lays an egg because they just can't keep up with the Badgers on Saturday, and I turn the game off at halftime and I don't have to worry about turning on another football game until uh, September of 2021, I'll be okay with that too. Street, you've been lurking as uh, a non-creepy carer. Uh, for a while here do you have wisconsin thoughts or would you like to transition to the joy that is basketball right now i think my feelings on football and big 10 this year are well known at this point to podcast listeners i would say that this is the least interested i have been for a minnesota wisconsin matchup in my lifetime and leave it at that okay well, then we are going to transition to basketball. Basketball sucks. Expand. Yeah, not great. It doesn't really matter which team you're talking about, either the men or the women. Uh, so the men. Oh yeah, that was an inclusive. That was an inclusive statement. I, I'm I'm aware. I'm just we're we're an inclusive podcast, and that is an apt description for both teams right now. So the both of them are running into roughly the same problem, which is they can't shoot. There might be different reasons for this uh, for, for for different teams. The women can't shoot because, frankly, right now they don't have the talent they need to truly be competitive. Uh, 
the men can't shoot because they do have talent on paper that should be competitive but that talent is both not performing and perhaps not being put in the best situations possible to make shots this is a discussion that i think turning to the men here just to be clear for the existence of richard patino as a coach at the university of minnesota if i were to describe what his offensive philosophy is and this is an argument that goes back and forth as to whether or not he has one i think he does the offense that Patino likes is a very free-flowing game that puts a lot of pressure on his point guard to not only run the offense, but also to be a high-usage player. Sometimes that leads to moments of sheer brilliance. Think of many Marcus Carr performances in the time that he's been a point guard. Nate Mason, his All-Big Ten first-team year. In periods of time where Amir Coffey wasn't technically the point guard, but was functionally being the point guard in the offense as they roared their way to the NCAA tournament and then his performances late in the year, you can get really excellent success. Patino, however, is not a system coach in the sense that every time you go down, you're going to run through you know, the classic version of that would be Bo Ryan's swing, but we could think. Uh, Davidson's motion offense, for example, where this is how we're, this is how this team is going to play. This is the system that's going to go through. We're going to run around that. The problem that Minnesota runs into is that in order to have a system that depends on your point guard constantly making good decisions and scoring, is that when your point guard passes, the person they are passing to needs to be able to score and often needs to be able to score potentially via creation of their own shot. That's not working against a team that, frankly, is as good as Illinois. I think Illinois is a really good basketball team. I thought Minnesota was going to lose this game by somewhere in the nature of 15 to 20 points, so somewhere between about 7 and 10 possessions is what I figured they were going to lose by. They realistically, if everyone hadn't pulled the starters, would have lost by maybe 40 or 50. And losing by 40 or 50 in part because they missed a bunch of open layups, they missed open twos, they missed open threes. Of the open shots they were taking, it's an open question as to how good those shots were, i.e. they pulled up for a lot of kind of Kevin Garnett mid-range, that sort of 18-footer that's the worst shot in basketball. There were some shots that they took very early in the shot clock where it's a reasonable question as to whether or not they could have gotten a better shot further through uh, the shot clock. But in order to get a better shot, and here in lies the difficulty, you need a system of some kind that puts them in a position to do that. And I didn't see very much of that happening from Minnesota. I think in particular a problem that happens with a high-usage point guard-led offense is... The point guard can over-dribble, and the players around him can stand around because Marcus Carr is going to be ISO-creating. Marcus Carr, as good as he is, and I think he is very good, is not James Harden. So this will run into challenges if Marcus Carr is having an off-shooting night like he did against Illinois. That's the problem for the men. The problem for the women, it's similarly... They have a high-usage point guard, in this case Jasmine Powell, who is quite good. She's a, on the all-freshman team last year, who through a big last game and the game prior to it had more turnovers than assists. Not great. 
not going to win you a whole lot of ball games. Consequently, Minnesota is getting smoked on both the men's and women's side by teams that are both A, better than they are, just from a talent perspective. Illinois is scads better than Minnesota. But also, are the Gophers are shooting themselves in the foot to make those better teams have a much easier time beating them. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next seven games for the men. And, well, I guess I don't really know enough about the rest of the Big Ten to know how the women's schedule stacks up in terms of difficulty. But unless they start playing better, I'm not really looking forward to to how that's going to go either. Uh, I guess, golly, um, we could keep dragging out how much they suck, but I want to get back to a higher note. do Blake or Alex, it's Blake's bit, but Alex stepped in nicely for him while he was gone one week. Do either of you two have a question ready for Andy about hockey, something you need to know about I, hockey? I should note, Chris, that I actually happen to know slight bits about hockey. So Blake is, in fact, our Blake's question of the week about hockey. That's a really polite way to say I insulted you. I, and I don't have a question this week. I've not. I've not been able to watch. Oh, there's no. There's there've been no games. I have nothing to watch. You you couldn't like look back on the previous games and come up with something. I will ask a question for Blake if Blake does not have one. <laughs> Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Andy, for a casual observer of hockey, we just spent a bit of time bemoaning Patino's lack of a system. If you had to describe Bob Motzko's system for a casual viewer, what would you say it is? You know, that's a good question because a lot of that depends on the personnel he has to play. Um, you know, Motzko's system, he likes to have a strong uh, strong forecheck to try and force turnovers in the defensive zone. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think in, in a perfect world, and we're seeing that a little bit more this season, now that they have uh, better players and they're playing well, uh, you know, a lot of teams like to do just sort of the dump and chase. They'll dump it into the, they'll dump it into the defensive zone and they'll, they'll dump a bunch of guys in their chase after it, try and force turnovers that way. Minnesota wants to try and pass the puck through the neutral zone, make some, make some rushes in. Um, and, and, to be perfectly honest, the first couple of years under Motzko, that, that didn't happen because, one, the Gophers didn't have the puck-moving defensemen to allow them to do that. And, and two, um, their passing was atrocious. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I sat at Mariucci just wondering how hard it is to pass from one guy to another guy without it bouncing off a stick, bouncing off the boards, bouncing off a defender. Um, so far this year, they have not had that problem. Their passes have been really crisp. They've been, they've been right on the money and they, uh, allowed them to, to, uh, make some nice plays and make some nice zone entries and, and make the most of it. So, um, you know, for, from, from a layman's basic terms, I think that's, that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, obviously, uh, like I said, it, it depends on your personnel with Minnesota having as deep, a uh, defensive group as they have right now, it allows your forwards to be a little bit riskier because they know you've got, you've got, uh, quality defensive men back but it also allows a couple of them to, to be able to step up in the play um uh, you know jackson lacombe and and you've seen a little bit from uh brock faber as well this year they're not afraid uh if they see an opportunity to to step up and try and get a little bit more of a of an on-man break um making a making a move towards the net um 
you know, you've got some defensemen who are much more of your, Ben Brinkman would be a good example, it's much more of your sort of traditional stay-at-home defenseman. He's not going to wow you with his stick handling and offensive prowess, but, you know, he'll be he'll be staying back in front of the net and be uh, be that defensive defenseman. So uh, it's nice when you have a good mix of, of personnel like that on your team that can do multiple things, and it, it allows you to... Uh, to play multiple multiple ways, multiple styles, and see what works depending upon who you're playing against. I love it. This is it's it's nice to be excited about hockey again. You know, I think you know about the time I joined the blog uh, was about the time of the Bugstead Row years, and uh, I, you know, at the time I could watch every single hockey game. I just had a, a, a TV set up in Madison that lucked out with like an alternate Fox Sports North that always managed to have every game. And it's been really kind of frustrating to not be able to be into hockey quite the same way. One, because I just can't watch nearly as much uh, over here in Ohio. Uh, and two, because honestly, when they sucked, it just, you know, I'm a casual hockey fan. I, 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 I love gopher hockey, but I'm not, I didn't grow up with gopher hockey and I grew up playing basketball. So for me, it's easier to gravitate to, to basketball, uh, than hockey for, for watching purposes, just because that's what I played. Um, so, you know, being able to see the gophers rank number one for the men, uh, number two for the women really kind of brings back some fond feelings about that kind of 2012 through 2014, uh, stretch for me. Um, and would like to see that continue. Um, at this point, are we done? I know the men are done. They're hoping to get a Christmas tournament thing, but I'm just assuming that's all screwed up. So we'll just say the men are done through, you know, early January. Are the women, uh, officially done through the beginning of the year as well? Yeah, both teams, both teams are done for 2020. Um, the men, uh, are still awaiting the second portion of the 2021 <laughs> portion of the schedule from the Is this is this the third or fourth podcast in a row where you've been had well, forced to say we've been promised a schedule, but it's not here yet? Every single every single time, you know, oh, it's, it'll come out this week. That source is saying it'll come out soon this week. Well, it hasn't yet. Um, I think that there's still a couple games this weekend. I think what you probably are waiting to see is the Big Ten's going to wait to make sure that those go off with a hitch so they don't have to try and screw up the schedule to try and fit in a series. Obviously, Wisconsin and Michigan State have already lost a series, um, but so far that's, knock on wood, been the only Big Ten series uh, that's fallen by the wayside, so that should be pretty easy to insert into the schedule and make up in 2021. Um the women, on the other hand, uh, is, I'm not going to lie, a bit of a mess. The uh, The second part of the WCHA schedule was released today, um, and Wisconsin and Ohio State going to get COVID at the end of uh, November, early December is royally screwed things up in the conference. Uh, the original plan was is they were going to play their traditional 24-team, uh, you know, double double round-robin schedule, and that uh, that's not happening anymore because they're running out of time. Um, in fact, now the WCH is switching, uh, and they're not going to be using points, uh, to determine the league winner. They're going to be using point percentage, uh, because Wisconsin, because of their COVID issues is only going to play 16 games on the season. Whereas Minnesota state Mankato is going to end up playing 22. Um, the Gophers will be, uh, along with UMD and some other teams that are going to play 20. And then I believe it's Ohio state's only going to play 18, um, in doing that, though, the Gophers' schedule definitely got a lot tougher. Uh, Minnesota is only going to play the three bottom feeders of the conference, St. Cloud, Mankato, and Bemidji, once. Two games total. 
Uh, they get to play Wisconsin for four games. They get to play UMD for four games. They get to play Ohio State for six. Um, that obviously must have just been a hole that was in both their schedules and allowed to fill it. But it's a little weird when you get to play the team that really, honestly, has played you tougher than Wisconsin over the last two years that the Gophers just don't match up well that well with. And you get to see them for an extra two games on top of what you were originally going to see. Um, so that, that may actually end up being a, a disadvantage to Minnesota as we come down the, uh, the stretch of the final WCHA. But, um, you know, and, and looking at points percentage, obviously Minnesota gets to spread their, their points over 20 games, whereas Wisconsin only has to spread it over 16. Um, there, there's less room for error, I guess, in Wisconsin's side, but yet, you know, they're only playing Minnesota four games and Ohio State four games, and then they're playing... Uh, two against the rest. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that works out coming down the stretch, assuming, knock on wood, they can play down the stretch. Um, but uh, I think, you know, no, nobody, Brad Frost and company isn't going to publicly come out and say it. I think they just want to say they're excited to play. But uh, I can't imagine they were too thrilled when they got to see that extra two-game series against Ohio State on the schedule. So when you say points percentage, that means they're going to take the number of points that they earned out of the total number of points they could have earned and do places based on what that, whatever that percentage is. Is that correct? That is my understanding. Yes. So, so if let's just, you know, we'll try and do the basic math. Minnesota's playing 20 games. You get three points for a win. So let's just say Minnesota wins 18 games. That's 52 points or no 54 points. Um, and that would be that'd be out at sixty, so that would be I can't do the math eight whatever eighteen twentieths nine nine tenths so ninety percent there you go, I just did the math, so that would be that would be ninety percent so there is obviously Wisconsin's playing only sixteen games, so for the Gophers to finish ahead of Wisconsin, Wisconsin would have to get less than ninety percent of uh, whatever, 16 times three, so that'd be 48. So whatever, whatever 90% of 48, I'm not going to try and do that one off the top Basically of my head. Basically they need, Wisconsin would need to win 15 games. So there's the trick is, is, you know, basically it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Uh, obviously, you know, Wisconsin is playing Ohio State four games. They're playing Minnesota four games. Minnesota's playing Wisconsin four games. They just have the extra series with Ohio State. Um, but I would not be surprised at all if those two extra games determine who wins the conference and who comes in second. Uh, admittedly, it's not going to matter that much. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio State, if there's an NCAA tournament, are all going to be three of the top four seeds. Um, there's only one or two actual decent teams from the East that are still playing right now. Uh, Northeastern being one of them. BC's okay. Um, Clarkson and, and Colgate are okay, but it's, it's fairly obvious of the teams that are playing Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio state are three of the top four teams in the country. So, uh, they're going to get a chance to beat up on each other in the regular season. They're going to get a chance to beat up each other on the playoffs. And if there is a knock on what NCAA tournament, they'll probably get a chance to beat up on each other there too. All right. Predictions, border battle predictions, Street, I'm going to start with you. Your prediction for the Axe game. As per usual, I will never ever predict that Minnesota will lose a game to Wisconsin. I will merely say that it will be very funny when Minnesota wins on Saturday. Andy, how about you? Yeah, you know, I went with the homer take last week and it paid off for me. And it's the same thing. You know, I, I, 
Uh, Wisconsin's a bit of turmoil. Minnesota, who knows what's going to happen. So why not just go straight homer, and, and that way I can write it off. So we'll go. The Gophers are going to beat the Badgers uh, 27-24. The Axe comes back to Minneapolis in a weird-ass 2020 season. You may have noticed listening last week that somehow I skipped over Blake. My apologies to Blake. And and Minnesota beat Nebraska last week. Do we really want to tempt fate? Oh, yeah. Okay, good point. Uh, my prediction for the game is 24-20 Minnesota, and that's all we have to say. There is no Blake. Blake doesn't exist. He's a fiction of your imagination. Uh, and while you conjure that fiction, remember to wash your hands, stay distanced, all uh, wear your mask, Go Gophers. Sky Yuma. Row the boat. Go Gophers, row the boat.